Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. He invented the first Christmas day. He invented the first Good Friday. He divided time between BC and AD. And he is the very author of this story. And he has now written himself into the story. There are plenty of great biographies and autobiographies on offer in most bookstores and libraries. We're drawn to them, particularly if their contribution to the world has spanned generations or even centuries. Wouldn't you like to read the biography of someone who literally changed the world and in the course of history had garnered more than three billion followers? Well, we can. Dr Corbett is continuing in a series titled The Eight Greatest Stories in the Bible. Let's join him tonight for the true story of the man who changed the world. We're continuing in a series, The Eight Greatest True Stories in the Bible. Part of the aim here is for those who are unfamiliar with the Bible that they get just a a very broad breadth understanding of what the whole Bible is about. We've seen that the Bible is comprised of stories. That makes it an unusual holy book. None of the other holy books, none of the other holy books are stories. This one is. The Bible is a story comprised of different stories. It forms one big story. And so these stories, when appreciated, they will help you to see the whole single story of the Bible. So... With that in mind, I want to start today, and this is the climax of the series because we are going to be looking at the most important component of the story. Then we have another two in this series after this. But this is critically important. To do that, we're going to John 1, 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's the beginning. That is a beginning before Genesis 1. God Almighty. Our story begins before the beginning. God Almighty. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We heard Norman share The sun is the light, represented in that opening video as well. He is also the eternal word. In the beginning was the word, John says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The eternal Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit determined to share their inexhaustible love for each other by creating a dimension in which new kinds of life forms could be made and dwell. This is before Genesis 1.1. The first of these creatures were embodied beings capable of language, worship, interaction, reasoning, autonomous travel. They could go wherever they wanted and utter obedience to God. With a word, the eternal Son of God spoke into existence these creatures. He was, John tells us, in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Note that all things were made through him, which means he himself could not have been made. And without him was not anything made 
that was made. These creatures, these first creatures, of which there are four of them, these creatures were made to be guardians. They were made to partly reflect the future aspects of the eternal Son of God by their multi-faces. Ezekiel describes them in Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 when he says, And from the midst of the very presence of God came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had human likeness. But each had four faces and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calf's foot and they sparkled like burnished bronze under their wings on their four sides they had human hands and the four had their faces and their wings thus the wings touched one another they were in union each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went they never turned And the likeness of their faces, each had a human face, the four had a face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Each of these reflected in some capacity the future role of the Son of God as the Redeemer. The lion of the tribe of Judah described in the Gospel of Matthew, the face of a man, the man of compassion, described in the Gospel of Luke, the ox, the worker, described in the Gospel of Mark, and the face of the eagle, divinity, pointing to not just the Son of God, but his identity is God the Son. These creatures, known as cherubim, to which two were assigned to the Garden of Eden after the fall of mankind, to guard it from ever being entered again. The Almighty created other super beings called seraphim, which were six-winged creatures who were assigned to the Lord's throne room and would lead heaven in worship. Isaiah got a glimpse of them. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face and with two he covered his feet and with two he flew and one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts we'll come to that in a moment the whole earth is full of his glory the lords the lord then created these other creatures called archangels to be officers within his heavenly kingdom then god created these other magnificent creatures all of these creatures are huge and incredibly unbelievably powerful beyond imagination Michael the archangel is described in Jude verse 9 but when the archangel Michael contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment but said the Lord rebuke you then God created These other creatures called the watchers who would report back to God regarding the affairs of his kingdom and be a part of his divine counsel referred to in Psalm 82 verse 6. Yahweh, which means the eternal I am, 
would refer to these watchers as his sons. They became known as the sons of God. You'll find reference to that in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 8. And he would treat each of these magnificent heavenly creatures that he had created as his family, a heavenly family. Daniel describes the watchers in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17 when he says the sentence is by decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules and the kingdom of men gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Then the almighty with a word created quadrillions of ordinary and I use that in scare quotes heavenly creatures magnificently beautiful glorious creatures which I'm doing it an injustice to call them ordinary, to enjoy his love and his presence and to serve him as messengers. That's why we call them angels because the word angel comes from the Greek word angelos, which means messenger. So an angel is not a being, it's a job description of these beings. They are described as being light, incredibly beautiful, embodied, designed to worship and serve God and be his messengers. Then I looked and I heard, John says, around the throne and the living creatures, these are the four living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of them and thousands, which is biblical language for saying, you could never count them. There's so many. Once the triune God had completed his heavenly family, can you imagine it? Heaven is not a place that's lonely. Heaven is not a place that is solitary. Heaven is a dimension where these creatures who actually have substance do not think of them as ghosts or spirits that have no substance. They have a substance. We just don't know what that is. But it is something. Once he had completed his heavenly family, he set about to create an entirely new dimension comprised of a new substance called matter. The eternal son, the living word, personally oversaw this project and ordained that the watchers be granted the ability to enter from their dimension into this new dimension. And by him... Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In other words, this dimension and the other dimension, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, which some of these creatures were assigned to. Again, Deuteronomy 32, 8 tells us this. All things were created through him and for him, which is why Jehovah's Witnesses are teaching a lie. It can't, their teaching about Christ cannot be true. And the watchers, who would later become known as princes, because they were assigned regions on earth to watch and initially to instruct mankind and to help mankind and to interact with mankind, 
They would become known as princes and would give assistance to yet another new but very special kind of creature, humans. After the Lord had created the first human woman, one of these watchers had become incensed with the creator because she could do what no angel could ever do. Not even the first man could do it. Not until God created woman did this watcher become bitterly jealous and a pride filled his heart and he set about to undermine all that this woman was. He sought to deceive her into sin, which is a three-letter word for rebellion and defiance and pride. This rebellious watcher whose name was Lucifer, star of the morning, had the ability to shape shift into the form of a serpent and deceived the woman who then tempted her husband who then also sinned and yielded to that temptation. It's interesting to note that Lucifer hates women to this day he does unbelievable damage to women and he will use men to do it he will use the world to do it but he hates women little wonder the abortion rate in india is sex selective where some 70 to 90 million baby girls are aborted before they are born simply because they are girls and he delights in that When God entered into Eden to walk with his newly created image bearers as he often did after he had created them and these special creatures, man and woman, bore his image. They reflected who he was. They had capacities that only God himself had, the ability to create life, the ability to exercise dominion over all. Mankind, when they heard him enter the garden, they hid from him as Lucifer watched on. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. How foolish. You can never hide from the one who sees all and is everywhere. When the Lord God found that the man and the woman had defiled themselves with sin, he told Lucifer, that is the devil, the Satan, that it would be the offspring of the woman, the very thing he despised about the woman, would be the very thing that would ensure his doom. The offspring of the woman would crush the head of Lucifer, personified as the serpent. In Genesis 3.15, if you're into technical theological language, it's called the Proto-Evangelium, the first announcement of the Redeemer coming. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Yahweh, the almighty God, the eternal I am spoke 
to and through the prophets down through the centuries as we have seen that a redeemer or should we say that the redeemer would come and deliver all mankind who would simply turn from their sin to him that's all any one of the human race would have to do to be delivered from the domain of eternal darkness and eternal condemnation and enter into that place where they were created to be in fellowship with God. That's all anyone has to do. Turn from sin and turn to the Saviour. And so now we come to the sixth instalment in our series, The True Story. It's a long title. The true story of the man who changed the world, the course of human history, and has garnered more than three billion followers, subtitled, He invented the first Christmas day, he invented the first Good Friday, he divided time between BC and AD, and he is the very author of this story, and he has now written himself into the story. That was my introduction. The Godhead Father, Son and Holy Spirit set their plan of redemption into action. The eternal Son of God. He did not become the Son of God when he was born of Mary. He's the eternal Son of God. Offered to become a human man. This plan was daring. And the timing of it had to be precisely perfect. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5 says... When the appropriate time had come, and other translations have the fullness of time, the time which met with moment intersected, the fullness of time. God sent forth his son, note this expression, born of a woman, because it is a deeply redemptive act to undo what the enemy had tried to do. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we may be adopted as sons of God, with full rights as sons, if we will but turn to him and repent of our sin and turn to the Saviour. To do this, he chose a young virgin girl, because the very thing the enemy did when he saw God created woman, a special creature, woman, God said, then I will use a woman. To bring about redemption. A young virgin girl would be selected from the family line of King David, the royal family line of King David. We read in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. She would give birth, but not in Nazareth. She would give birth in a tiny, almost seemingly rather insignificant place called Bethlehem. But there's nothing random, to quote the born identity. There is nothing random about this story. Everything is on purpose. Bethlehem 
means house of bread. Jesus described himself as the bread that came down from heaven. John chapter 6. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the home and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. At just the time that the Caesar of Rome had ordered a census and for everyone to turn to their ancestral home, just at that time, just at that time, Jesus was born and it necessitated him being born in Bethlehem. The name Jesus, Yeshua, means the Saviour. His name revealed his role. She, it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And when the fallen watcher, Lucifer, the serpent-like devil, the Satan, became aware of what had just happened or was about to happen, he knew his doom had been enacted. He set about on a murderous rampage. He filled King Herod and it says this in Matthew chapter 2 verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. But Jesus had already left because he was being protected by angels, one of whom who had come to Joseph in a dream and told him, Leave now, take the mother, take the boy, go to Egypt. After the Redeemer's earthly parents and he returned with him from Egypt, they settled in Nazareth in Galilee, which is in North Israel, a highly Gentile populated area. By the time Jesus of Nazareth was 12 years old, he was now fully aware of who he was and who his father was. And you remember the scene in the temple. I must be about my father's business, he said, which both Joseph and Mary thought, that's interesting. His earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, would go on to have a further four more sons and at least two daughters. Jesus grew up with brothers and sisters. And can I point out, he grew up with brothers and sisters, yet without sin. Not easy to do, but he did. We read in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verse 55, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? There's four of them. And the next verse, sisters, that means at least two. So he grew up in a big home, relatively big home by today's standards. And at the age of 30 years of age... The Christ, the anointed one, the redeemer was baptised as Norm shared over communion in the Jordan River and was sent by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness immediately after that event to meet with the devil, to be tempted by him. Get this scene out in the wilderness, emblematic of what the devil does. He destroys the wilderness, barrenness, flat land in the valley. How opposite it is to meet with God, often described in the Bible as a garden, often described as on top of a mountain. The creator of the universe 
stood face to face with the very one, the watcher, that he had created with a word. And with a word, he withstood the devil's temptations. We read in Matthew chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And the Greek implies for a sneakier time, a more opportune time. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. From this moment, Jesus selected 12 men whom he spent three years teaching and training and modelling what it was to be a servant leader, a new concept the world had never seen before. And Peter, when he tells the story of Jesus, he says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He would live a sinless life in full obedience to his father and then offer his life as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all mankind having demonstrated who the father was having shown by the miracles that he did he would then tell his disciples I'm going to Jerusalem I'm going to be mistreated the religious rulers and authorities are going to take me they're going to abuse me they're going to beat me and strike me and then they will nail me to a cross it seemed inconceivable that the redeemer the promised one would die such a humiliating death and all of this was inspired by the one before whom he had withstood his temptations and now this watcher this fallen watcher this evil one in whom there can be no redemption, set about to destroy the means of his doom, foolishly not understanding that everything he does, El Shaddai, the mighty one, Yahweh, turns everything he does around toward redemption. And when Satan filled the religious leaders and had the Son of God put to death on a cross, that became the means of his doom because it was on that cross that he bore the penalty of sin, guilt and shame for all mankind if we turn to him and receive the gift that he now offers, a gift called redemption and forgiveness. And on that cross, Jesus died at a time of his choosing when he gave up his spirit, having suffered for all humanity to make sure the Romans who were experts in killing and death, took a spear and foisted it up through his lungs into his heart. And John says blood and water flowed. So he was dead. He was then taken down from the cross. And as we saw, the prophets had foretold, not only would he die among the wicked, and he was a criminal on each side, His body would then be taken and put in a rich man's tomb 
Isaiah chapter 53. And in that tomb, he was wrapped in a shroud, laid from head to toe and then over again, toe to head. And today there is a shroud that is inexplicably resemblant of a man crucified. It's called the Shroud of Turin. Not easily dismissed, by the way. Peter tells his audience at the house of Cornelius that he and his colleagues were witnesses to these events. He saw it and he says, and we are witnesses of all that he did, the people that he healed, the things that he taught. He was a good man, but there was something different about him. How he did it in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, the tree being another word for the cross. But God raised him up on the third day. He rose from the dead. He defeated the enemy's schemes. The devil is about killing, death and murder and lies and deceit. And Jesus conquered that when he rose from the dead. This is the climax of the entire story. This is the greatest true story ever told. As the worship team returns, I now want to introduce you to the one who came as promised, conquered sin and death, lived a perfect life, was put to death in our place because where there is sin, it needs to be punished. And he took our punishment and he rose from the dead, defeating the forces of darkness and evil. And now, you are not a million miles away from God. You are just one prayer away from God. A prayer that says, Jesus, I don't even know if I can repent. I don't know if I can turn around, which is what repent means. To stop doing what I'm doing and to start living for you. Please help me to do that. A prayer like that can begin a whole new, a whole new trajectory of your life. And you can know forgiveness for all the things you've done. Those moments that cause you great grief and guilt, you can be forgiven with just one prayer to him, the saviour, the redeemer, the one who died in your place. If you were the only one who'd ever sinned, he would have done all of this just for you. And he did it for us. How great is his love. Would you please stand as... Judy, you're going to lead us in this song. Thank you, Judy.
of worship, worthy, oh God. Father, we pray that, Lord, there would be songs in the night, that, Father, there would be joy in the morning, that, Father, the spirit of heaviness would be broken off people as they see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, that, Father, the knowledge of God would be seen in the face of Jesus Christ and that Lord that light would burst forth and break off the spirit of heaviness and the spirit of darkness and that Father people would enter into life and light oh God now Lord may we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the presence of the and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit we pray in Jesus name and everyone said amen which means let it be tonight as we've heard tonight there was a whole host in the heavenly hierarchy the Godhead set their plan of redemption into motion the eternal Son of God offered to become a human man and that man Jesus changed the world more from Dr. Corbett next week Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.